This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Wednesday, April 11th of 2018, it's episode 130. In this episode, Stephen Weiss talks about subculture outreach and ministry, plus what we like about games we hate, fans for Christ, City on a Hill Gaming, God Loves the Freaks, in-reach from subcultures to churches, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Stephen. And we are delighted to have on the mics with us tonight, Stephen Weiss. It is Weiss, right? I'm getting the pronunciation correct? You are correct, sir. Done something right for the first time today. Feeling good. <laughs> no, it's it's been a day. Days. Stephen, we're excited to have you on. Uh, I know you as the author of one of the books that we read when we first started Saving the Game, getting on towards six years ago now. God Loves the Freaks, A Guide to Subculture Ministry, but it turns out you're sort of a Christian geek renaissance nerd, <laughs> if that's a thing. Tell us a little bit about wh- uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, why you're on our show. All right, well, years ago, I had a love for computers, which started with my Commodore 64, and when I was about 10, my dad got me one. I started programming right away. Uh, but I then ran into games and for me, games were like candy. And because I didn't really understand piracy when I was like 12 years old, <laughs> uh, I had all of them. So I had hundreds of Commodore games and I learned to hack them. Even I would hack the games and make them better. And, uh, then my uncle, when I was 12, bought me the, uh, Dungeons and Dragons books, which I didn't tell my grandmother about because she would have said I was going to hell. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) so I, you know, early start on video games and RPGs, definitely. I also loved music though. I was a big music and I was a performer. I had a little, a tape recorder when I was a kid and I would get my sister and my friends in the neighborhood and we would make up TV shows and news shows and record them. And I would play them for my parents who had to pretend they were funny when I was eight, but, uh, (laughs) They were funny in, in this eight-year-old is funny way, you know. Mm. So I loved music and acting, but I also loved computers. And then when I went to college, I had the choice, do I want to do computers and eat or do acting and music and starve? So unfortunately, that seems to be the way the world is. Yeah. So I went with computers mm. and I loved computers, so it was fine. But in the background, I always did music. I was in classical choir. I got to travel to Israel with a uh, Christian choir, uh, the Ooh. Asaph Ensemble in D.C., and that was amazing. And I, you know, I've done, pl- I actually went to high school with Christina Hendricks from Mad Men and of course Firefly, <laughs> if you're a nerd. And I was in a play with her. I was in Blythe Spirit. She was the spirit and I was Dr. Bradman. Uh, though, <laughs> she doesn't talk to me anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no hookup for you guys there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was teaching at a, at a computer college in North Carolina and I'd been there a couple of years and I thought, is this just what I want to do until I die? And I thought, you know, while I'm still kind of young in my 30s, I should I should do something else. And and so I, I said, I'm going to be an actor in California. And I'd done a short film and really got the bug uh, with my friend, Laura. We did a 48 hour project. It was a great one. It was it's called the Sister Agony's Academy. And it's about a goth prep school. <laughs> and so these uh, <laughs> high schoolers are going to this prep school, but also learning how to be goth. Like they have a fashion class on different shades of black. uh, (laughs) it's really cool it's on youtube somewhere so if you look up sister agony's academy you can see it's like you know 15 years old now or something like that but uh i'd gotten the bug and so i came out here and i kind of fell into voice acting i got to do some uh, anime and video games right away and i got tired of waiting for someone to cast me in uh, a film as a lead role so i produced my own film 
I sold my Mustang GT and, and made my own sci-fi film called Altered Spirits, which, by the way, is on Amazon Prime right now if you want to see Ooh. it. Uh, so I finally it took me five years to make this film. But uh, I have a feature now that I can say I'm a movie star. Yay. So here, <laughs> right. And I got into uh, now I'm kind of producing voiceover for video games and I got a gig writing some for video games. So uh, I'm loving it right now, uh, working in the game stuff. And uh, I'm still I still play games with my friends. I've done LARP. Uh, oh, I was an extra in role models. I was a LARPer in oh. role models. I have a featured scene in the big battle at the end. I'm the first guy who dies in the huge nice. LARP battle. <laughs> <laughs> So I do, I do LARP and uh, I, I do tabletop and I've played a million video games, but I like classic consoles. I still play my PS2 and my 360 a lot. It's not like that oh, yeah. old, but those are the ones I still no, play No, no, it sounds like you have exactly the same systems I do. So there we go, spot <laughs> yeah. on. I love yeah, and uh, the, the Commodore 64, the original Laser Squad is still one of my favorite video games of all time. So okay. Didn't have that one. I'm going to have to go get an emulator. It was um, Julian Gollop's first XCOM-style game he ever did. It was actually oh, cool. the genesis of that genre. Wow. Wow, that's great. Well, that's... I mean, I'll shut up about me now. That's good enough. No, no, it's good. <laughs> no, it's, good it's No, it's cool. fine. Been involved in a lot of neat stuff. Right, so that's... Yeah, yeah. I guess the, then there's the ministry thing. You know, about 12 years ago... I think longer, really, but it just doesn't... I refuse to believe it was more than 12 years ago. Uh, I started uh, Fans for Christ, a group for Christians who are fans of sci-fi role-playing, anime, all the kind of nerd stuff really rolled together. And what happened is I went to Dragon Con and I got a little fan table. And it turns out there's a bunch of us there, but we don't know each other because we, you know, so it sort of became the support group. People would come up to our table and be like, I'm one too. I didn't know there was any others, you know, sort of thing. And so we had this group for a long time. And uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, I, I had some health problems over the last few years and I lost some of my leadership. So we kind of closed down. But the book is one of the things that came out of that. In about 2006, 2007, I wrote uh, God Loves the Freaks for actually a Christian goth conference was kind of my deadline. It was going to, uh, you know, there's some great folks out there. My friend uh, Donna uh, works with the Grave Robbers Ministry and uh, Lady Michaela does Christian goth. And so I'm into that scene too. And and it's great to know that there's, because I, I don't know, when I was in my early 30s, I was like, I think I'm a goth. And you know, I was like, this is the wrong time of age to get into this, but I'm doing it. So, uh, <laughs> and I met all these wonderful Christian goth people too. And there's Christian punks and, you know, stuff like that too, uh, other subcultures. And so all that together really helped inspire the book, God Loves the Freaks, which is basically saying, you know, God loves you and doesn't judge you by your hobbies or how you look. He judges you by your heart. It was very helpful when we started off because it's introductory in a lot of ways mm -hmm. for people who don't know those subcultures. But it was useful to see how someone else went about explaining subcultures and reaching out to people who didn't really know what any of these subcultures might be or had heard just bits and pieces from unreliable sources and that sort of thing. So it was very valuable yeah. in that regard. And, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're still recommending it to anybody who asks for book recommendations on the topic. So, yeah, make sure Woo! you get this one. It's important. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. been working on uh, getting a copy for my own church because I am the uh, volunteer librarian of my church and I've been trying to get a copy of it for a while. Wow. Yeah, it's really, you know, the book sort of had a dual purpose. One is to give to other Christian freaks as saying, here, look, here's biblical reasons why it's okay that you like these things and you do these things. And not to, not saying like sinning is good, but it's like there's all these things that aren't sin that are just personal choices and hobbies and 
you know, uh, here's Bible verses to show that that it's okay that you're doing this as long as you don't put it before God and, and things like that. But the other real, the real hope for the book was that other people that are not in the subcultures will read this and either use it as a ministry tool or be like, oh, I shouldn't judge those people. They're really just, they just like to wear black or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not into death or hate God or, you know, all those weird things that you hear. And part of it's really just to convince legalistic type people, even though that's a charged word to use these days. But those mm-hmm. kind of people who are, are really orthodox, like super orthodox, that this fits in with Christian theology and that, that Christianity was never meant to be one culture. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be many cultures. I mean, Paul clearly was talking about the distinction between being a Jew and being a Greek, and both of them were acceptable in Christianity. And you didn't have to enforce this sort of cultural law that went along with the faith. And that's my big argument to mm-hmm. others who don't get that. Yeah. Right. I think it's also a good um, introduction to what a subculture even is, because like the word gets thrown around a lot, but I live in an area where most of the people have a highly focused type of study. For those who do not know, my dad is a nuclear chemist. Most of his friends are nuclear chemists, and most of the people in our church are nuclear chemists, physicists, and engineers. So, like, there's not a lot of time when you're studying chemistry, physics, and engineering to study other things. Having read, I'll admit, not all of the book, uh, but having read the vast majority of the book, I think it would also be a, a really good way to sort of ease people into studying subculture as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so before we continue this conversation, because we've got a lot more to cover there, we should probably do our usual podcast housekeeping. Oh, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Stephen, we've talked a lot about God Loves the Freaks, and if I'm going to plug something of yours, it's certainly that. But do you have something else that you want to plug? Well, I already kind of plugged the movie, so this is my second one. But uh, I'm working on right now with a great Christian game company called Kidware Software. And they're putting together a little adventure game, kind of maybe like kids and teens. Uh, but adults can play this too. It's called Exodus God of the Slaves. It's a cool third-person 3D kind of adventure puzzle solver. You are the role of some young Egyptians, and you're actually following Moses and Aaron around as a spy, going, what's hmm. up with these Hebrew people? What's going on? And so you're sort of their enemy at first, but you listen to them and and you kind of experience the miracles of God and things like that by watching them uh, while you're like running around solving puzzles and fighting giant spiders and, and other stuff like that. But it's so it's kind of a neat little adventure game, but it's set in this biblical biblical time period. And, and I think it's going to be a really fun thing when it comes out. So I'm one of the, the voices of the characters. I'm Yalu, who follows uh, one of the people following around Moses. Hmm. Cool. Hmm. That sounds great. Okay, I will make sure to link that in the show notes. Matt, you said you're working on it? Is that yeah, right? I, I'm producing and directing the voiceover right now. So okay. uh, we're finishing up another round of uh, voices for it. Excellent. I'll make sure to at least link Kidware Software. And if there's anything on Exodus, God of the Slaves, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes as well. Neat. And that they do also, you want to look at the site because they do uh, software education for kids. They've got all these books oh, on nice. teaching them Java and, and C and, and just how to get them started in coding. So it's really cool. Great. Oh, Actually, nice. I've got a coworker. I need to recommend that to then. Uh, <laughs> I've got good. a librarian. I need to recommend that to. <laughs> Excellent. See? Perfect. There we go. All right. Um, I appreciate that. Stephen, again, it's, it's really good to have you on. Um, I don't think we have a whole lot of 
podcast news to discuss other than the fact that the con planner site for fear the con 11 is up in case anybody is not registering for those games and you're going to fear the con so just a a quick reminder on that yes and if you are going to fear the con look for jenny and me we will both be there yes Uh, i have a as of right now i have two seats left in my abstract sign language larp Uh, unfortunately my deck of many things game is is full oh yeah, I wish I could add more seats, but like at that point, it's not going to be any fun. So, uh, yeah, uh, if if you want to play in um, sign a game about being uh, understood, then uh, that's slot one uh, at Fear the Con, and I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I punched on both of these. They look like they're both going to be really interesting. So, yeah, I wish looking I could go to it. So do we. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> Can know. I ask what it is? Fear the Con. Uh, are you familiar with the Fear the Boot podcast? No. Okay, Fear the Boot's one of the longest-running RPG podcasts out there. I think it may actually be the longest-running one at, at this point. It is at this point the longest consistently running. Right, wow. Uh, I think that's right. And we all met through the Fear the Boot forums, actually, in the Fear the Boot community. And they put on a convention in St. Louis every year called Fear the Con. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I and it's it. really good because it's like 150 people and it's pure gaming. Uh-huh. And it's free this year. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah past couple years they've done a kickstarter to fund it so that you can just walk right in you don't have to pay a entry fee or anything oh okay they do a few other things there's a dinner the night before where the whole community of people gets together and has fun things like that so it's it's really good oh okay yeah, it's thank a you really for taking nice a community the frustrating thing here is that peter and i have a ton of gaming stuff to talk about because we had a really good and important gaming session last week but we've got guests on this episode and the next episode, and we are never going to get a chance to talk about this. Well, I'll just uh, sit here and drink my sparkling no, no, water, no, no. and uh, I, I you wanna, can go ahead and talk about very, it. Very, very quickly, we had um, <laughs> a really interesting session where almost entirely by accident, we man- I managed to get a character who has not had much spotlight time to be in the spotlight and to hopefully set them up for further spotlight time going forward. So yeah, I was very happy about that. Boy, did he make good use of the spotlight. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of backstory to it. It was kind of nice, too, because he said that after the, the game session, the player said that that solved something on a personal level for him as well. And that's always very satisfying. It's like, hey, wow. I figured something out that's been bothering me personally as a result of this game session. And that feels good. That's very good. Yeah, it was also nice to game for the first time in, what, like a month? Oh, goodness, yes. Also, for the record, critical hits for a rogue in D&D 5th edition are stupid. Yeah, they're disgusting. (laughs) You mean they're broken? Oh, goodness, yes. It's the old sneak attack dice thing, right? You get an extra number of... uh, Yeah, or in this case... um, Depending on your level. Chrissy was rolling 8d6 plus 4 for those two criticals. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because... What happens is basically in what fifth are you, edition. Twelve level or something? I played no. Yeah. In She's fifth edition, sixth. what it is the, <laughs> it, in third edition, the non dice parts of it were doubled on a crit. Mm-hmm. In fifth oh. edition, it's the dice parts that are doubled. Oh, you know, interesting enough, when we played, we didn't we didn't double roll the crit dice. We just rolled the other dice. Maybe yeah, we were it, doing it wrong. Yeah, it's like the, your dex mod or whatever you're using for damage that got. Yeah. Uh, doubled on a crit in 3.5, but in 5th edition, the dice get doubled. Yeah, I've been playing 5e, uh, but apparently we were doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, don't don't All worry. Right. I played my cleric for a year with his armor class one too low because I didn't realize that heavy armor completely disregards your dex modifier. Uh, and yeah. he has a, a minus one dex penalty. Also, if you're having fun, you're not playing entirely wrong. 
Yeah, so, it's yeah. true. Yeah. You know. yeah. But yeah, we started off this fight and I was like, man, this is going to be a tough fight. It's really going to try them. It's going to be great. My wife, this is my wife's character, climbs a pillar. She's got initiative. Bam, sneak attack. That's a crit. She's just rolling it in front of me. Next round. Crit. Ah, why? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, Grant, if you had played those NPCs as ruthlessly as you could have, that would have been a TPK. Well, they had the, the action economy was not in our favor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were kind of gross, but that, that's fine. Um, yeah. And I don't want to get more into it than we have, but yeah, it was a really satisfying session and I think it's going to set us up for a lot of character development for this particular character who's been this very wallflowery character, got a chance to shine and sort of has, as a result, has sort of earned dramatic permission to show off and perform more in the setting. And yeah. so we're going to be seeing a lot more of them. So we're very excited about that. Cool. Uh, and of course, Peter, we're preparing for your game that you're going to be running with, yeah. uh, that's based on the setting you've been playing out on our blog, which yeah. is great. We really need to get that session zero going, though, because trying to do this via social media back and forth is just slow as molasses. Yeah, and, Twitter mm -hmm. DMs are not good for con planning. Yeah, for no. game planning. It is, it is lacking in inflection and slow. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Yeah. Jenny, anything you got going on? Uh, no, our GM has been sick. So. Oh. Unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted better. to ask Jenny something, actually. Uh -huh. So I want you to steal my idea here because you're doing this deck of many things, right? So I can, am. Yeah. I love that. It was one of my favorite kind of tropes from, you know, AD&D. But mm -hmm. I feel like that there should be like another version of it, but a lame deck of many things like where. OK, where it does. Have all I <laughs> it does all the have things. Have I ever gotten news for you? Somebody has done this. Oh, yes. Like you get put into the prison, but it's just like this rusty little cage that you can just break the lock. You're like, oh, that's not so bad. If I recall correctly, it is called the deck of many more things. <laughs> okay. And it adds like mediocrity yeah. to the deck of many things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that. Well, I'm glad it's out there. Unfortunately, I do want like to actually be able to go through all of the cards because I am actually painting my own set of, of cards so I can give everybody... Oh. A, a set of cards yeah. to, to play with. So I don't want a full 40. I don't want to like 44 cards. I just want the the, the right. normal 22. I was even thinking yeah. of cutting it down to the base 13. But oh, wow. yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm just. Yeah. I was imagining them carrying around this deck. And it was so after a few cards, they were just like, this is so useless. They just put it back in their backpack. But every once in a while, the party gets stuck and they're like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. You want to break that thing out? <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> I mean, I'm bored. I don't know about you. So yeah. draw a couple of cards and see what happens. Right. Yeah. Like, well, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So there's my kind of lame, mediocre idea, but I thought it would be No, fun. that's, that's yeah, fine. No. Basically, basically what I'm doing, more context on the Deck of Many Things game, um, you wake up in a stone room that has no windows, uh, only one door to the outside, and a chest. And in that chest is your favored uh, set of armor and weapons and a deck of many things. And I believe there are six people in the game, so there are six decks of many things. Oh, uh, wow. That seems too too good to be true, right? I'd be looking around <laughs> like, uh, sure. Yeah, but like, here's the thing. We're going to go until I run out of character sheets. <laughs> like, <laughs> Now it sounds like I'm, paranoia. <laughs> you know what? You're not entirely wrong. You're, actually. Yeah, you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> well, now I'm sad. I'm gonna delightful. miss. Delightful. You know what? This, this this is a good enough idea. I may like do like an online session of it at some point because like I've talked to so many people about this game, and they're like, 
dang, I want to play, but I can't go to the con. It's, it's so, almost like we'll Russian definitely report on how it goes. Card. So, but yeah, very much like Russian roulette. Yeah. <laughs> now you draw. Now you draw. Faerunian roulette. <laughs> <laughs> Character dies. Everyone looks around. Play for second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, have you been gaming much? What have you got going on? Yeah. Okay. So I got to tell you, I am addicted to Mansions of Madness. So, oh boy, I, it's hard not to be. It's a good game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I played Arkham Horror, I played Eldritch Horror, and I'm like, these are okay. I like playing them at any random time. But I played Mansions once with, you know, the second version with the the PC app or the Steam app, whatever. And I just can't stop. And uh, I have a, gr- a gaming group that we we were playing D and D, and we were playing some other stuff. And I'm like, no. We are playing this now, and uh, <laughs> it's at my house, so they kind of are like, okay, and I mean, they don't hate it. So uh, we play it, and we, and we die, like, every week, and we're like, no, we're going to beat this, and so it's, I, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm loving it so much right now, and uh, I haven't liked a game this much, like a tabletop game, I can't even remember the last time I've liked a game this much, but I, I cannot stop playing. And I want to make my own characters for it. And I know there's some mods and stuff online, but I'm already writing people emails and forums like, hey, I'll make some new characters if you put them in, if you hack the software. Because I don't have time <laughs> to do that myself, but I can make up the character cards and everything too, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nice. I, I, I'm loving this game. So you guys, I uh, how many of you guys have played it? I have not. Okay. I have not managed to yet. It looks amazing, and I keep yeah. hearing a lot about it. It's one of those things where I'm, like, looking at it from afar. Yeah, yeah I, I also know it by reputation only, but nothing that you said is inconsistent with what I've heard previously, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm telling you, I can't stop. Can't stop playing it. That yeah, I gotta great. say, it wouldn't really fit with my current group, but there is a group uh, back where I used to go to university that would love to play that with me, and... I, I may see about doing that at some point. Excellent. Yeah, we had a we had a five E group going on for a while, and I usually play a rogue, so I was like, yeah, I played a rogue, and so it was like, you know, he had the what, charlatan background, so he was pretending to be a noble, and he wasn't, and he had all these things with his house symbol on it, and and I gave him this, you know, ridiculous like uh, accent. Uh, I'm sorry, when you speak to me, address me as Lord Hall, and. Uh, <laughs> So I made the other characters in the party, party call me Lord, and then when we'd run into NPCs, I would be like, mm-hmm, Lord. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yes, and so then he, he he pulled this big swindle and got caught, and they got thrown in a, in a dwarven prison, and so the rest of the party's job was to break him out. So it was a, it was a fun prison break adventure that we had. And, and I, I, you know, I like 5e. I, I think that I hated 4, like many people. Uh, I was going to make a joke there, but I think it's pretty serious. A lot of people didn't like four, unless you like World of Warcraft for the tabletop. But, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I like 3.5, even though people are like, it's too complex. I'm like, I like complex. Shut up. So uh, five's a nice compromise. And I know there's some things like the the ranger is t- was totally turfed, like in 5e. Like, you can pick the mm-hmm. ranger, and they're really lame. But they did fix it in Unearthed Arcana. I'm sorry, I'm going on way too long. Anyway, no, so fun. there yeah. Okay, so actually, I do want to talk about this because this is really cool. Okay. One thing that I have seen, and these are posted to YouTube, but they're also on Twitch. The official Wizards of the Coast D&D Twitch channel, once a week, has an hour of Mike Murrells doing development work where he's just talking uh, to chat and talking about what he's doing and talking about design. Mike Murrells, of course, being the lead designer for 5th edition. Okay. And what's cool about that is 
he is very upfront about like, yeah, I need to fix the sorcerer because the sorcerer's got problems. So let's come up with some sorcerer things. Huh. And so he's critiquing his own work from, you know, the past couple of years as they've gotten data and seen play patterns and that sort of thing and developing new content. But what's cool is there are just recordings of this that you can go watch. Hmm. Now, did they take like huh. random callers or chatters? Because I think that would be amazingly glorious. Well, yeah, I mean, he's talking to Twitch chat, right? Which uh, it's Twitch chat, but occasionally somebody smart slips yeah. through the cracks. You kids um, and your Twitch cat chatting. I mean, I barely <laughs> keep up these days. So uh, yeah, Twitch chat is notoriously bad. But yeah, I figured uh, that's why I wanted to see all the comments and everything, how glorious it would be. You know, with all these uber nerds calling in like, how dare you do this to the source? You know, like stuff like that. It'd be awesome. Uh, no, it's mostly just racist memes. Oh, yikes. Yeah, the yeah. yeah that of kind trolling, of awful. The quality of trolling has really gone down in the last it decade. It really has. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the good parts that he's talking to are, are really interesting because he's breaking apart a lot of his own work and saying, all right, so, you know, you know, we missed this, we missed this. So if we're going to design something, we need to do this. All right, I'm looking around. I see these options. You pick up little things like the only assumption they make when they're designing things is that somebody has the player's handbook. They cannot assume that anybody has any supplementary material. Okay. So, you know, if you're making an add-on, you can't refer to spells that are in a different supplementary material. It's all got to come out of the player's handbook. That's a good business model. I think it makes your clients or your customers feel like you're not forcing them to buy a bunch of crap. So Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's definitely how it felt for me with some earlier editions of D&D. Well, yeah, that's that's isn't that one of like the stated design <laughs> goals of 5e is that the library bloat wouldn't be so bad? Yes, yeah, that's why I they only so. do like one book every six months. Yeah, things because like that. I literally have an entire bookcase filled with third edition material. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. <laughs> and they were starting to be worse <laughs> oh, yeah. with fourth edition. Uh, like, yeah. was oh, that yeah. the uh, the complete rogues handbook and all those things? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. Warrior, Races of XYZ, the environment books. I mean, a lot of it was great, but I it came it, out yeah. every single month. A- as know? a yeah. bona fide third edition power gamer, mm. that many class options and feats and prestige classes were a dream. I loved it. <laughs> as a GM, I am delighted by the fifth edition approach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cool. Uh, now, now, most people that tell me that, you know, when I say, oh, I like 3.5 and I didn't like 4, they're like, you know, there's the the Pathfinder acolytes that are like, you must convert to Pathfinder. Pathfinder oh, yeah. is the yeah. best. Pathfinder is all. You get I tried ones. Pathfinder, but <laughs> I've, I, I prefer 5e. Okay. I have experienced that whole, you must convert to Pathfinder <laughs> yes. in order to experience true enlightenment kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And it's... it's uh, I, I tried, and you know what? I just like 3.0 and 3.5. I just like them. Okay. They're what I grew up on, yeah. quite literally. Yeah, so. same. I, I am warmer on 4th edition than a lot of people. It wasn't amazing. I much prefer 3.5 and 5th edition, but I enjoyed the 4E games I played. Hmm. Well, you know, I bought some books. 4E the books introduced were good. some important stuff, too. Skill challenges and uh, minions came out of 4E, sure. didn't they? Yeah. Uh, They did. Actually, we were just talking about this in our Discord channel, which, by the way, Discord channel for saving the game is on our website, sggcast.org. Hey, plug. But yeah, we were talking about this actually just today in our Discord channel. Uh, One of our regular listeners was bringing this up and talking about it and how, you know, there was this kind of 
question of could we have gotten to fifth edition if wizards had not ga- gone down the coast the or was damn, wizards had not gotten <laughs> i cannot speak I should, i'm gonna leave that in that's fine Please. that's fine oh my gosh if wizards had not gone down the path of third edition and then fourth edition learned from those designs and to some degree those mistakes would they have then gotten around to fifth edition, which has been extremely successful in every regard? I mean, mm-hmm. the just looking at the business numbers alone, it's been amazing. But of course, the it's played well into you know streaming and and the the idea of growing the community as people who are watching other people play D anD D games because then that gives them an easy way to segue into playing themselves, and you know it's very easy to. It's very watchable and it's very easy to pick up. So you just transition naturally to being a player and then naturally to being a GM. Yeah, you wonder how many gamers are out there because of critical role alone. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. All that sort of thing. So, you know, it's been very, very, very successful. Would it have been as successful if they had gone straight from like second edition to something else that wasn't third or fourth? Like, would they have ended up at fifth at any point? Yeah, I mean... They there had to be something between those two. Mm-hmm. So uh Well yeah, of course. But it's like, you know, could they have learned could they have made fifth edition immediately after second edition? And my yeah. thought is no. But you know, that's getting into kind of deep in the weeds. Yeah. But it was an interesting yeah. conversation that we it's, were having about just that. It's almost like the subculture has changed over time. Yeah, all those original folks are uh, are dead, unfortunately. And you know, you reminded me, actually, uh yeah. great story. Won't say it won't take too long, but I uh Years ago, uh, Gary Gygax joined my uh, ministry, Fans for Christ, as a oh, wow. as a member, and so I got to send him a copy of God Loves the Freaks. I remember I was sitting in I was in my classroom in North Carolina, and I got the email, and I stood up, and I think we were on a break or something, and I said to my students, "I was like, oh my God, I got an email from Gary Gygax," and they all just gave me blank looks. <laughs> <laughs> Philistines, you're a classroom of Philistines. It's like, never mind. Extra homework for you all tonight. Go back to whatever you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Aww. We should probably move on. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Stephen Banches of Madness, it's on my to do. It's on my to playlist. Gotta gotta play it. Uh, the problem with living out sort of removed from all of my friends is I don't have a regular board game night because I can't drive an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> that is the exact problem that Jenny and I have, too. We all yeah. live on the far edge of nowhere, as it That's turns why out. That's why we podcast over the yeah. internet. And why we game together over the internet, too. Well, don't so. move to L.A. It, that's also on my list. Not oh, moving yeah. to L.A. Good. Yeah. 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 I have, I have like uh, 200 really cool friends out here, and everyone is too busy to hang out ever. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I hear that. All (laughs) right. Let's go ahead and do our Patreon question. Uh, This is a question that our Patreon supporters submit to us and we keep track of on a big table of questions that I'm going to roll on right now. And Stephen, you are more than welcome to join us in this. (laughs) Please do. You are encouraged to join. Yeah. You know what? I got to tell you guys, you you guys, this is the the podcast I've been on that has let me talk the most. So you guys are number one right now. (laughs) Excellent. I am glad to hear it. What's the point of having an interesting guest host if they never say anything? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is actually a really good one. This is from Nathaniel Farley. Which game system do you dislike the most and what do you like about it? Okay. So I think I already started answering this for me. So I'll (laughs) go ahead and go first. I would say, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit. Accepting things that I consider to be unplayable, like Palladium, or morally abhorrent, like fatal, I would say probably 
D&D 4E is probably down close to the bottom, but there's good stuff that came out of it. Um, skill challenges are really neat. The The whole minions thing for scaling encounters is really neat. I uh, I remember looking through some of the uh, the fifth edition books as they came through the bookstore that I was working at at the time, or fourth edition books as they came through the bookstore that I was working at at the time, and thinking, wow, this is kind of a really neat concept. I wish this had been around in you know three five when um, those were coming out. So they definitely had some neat ideas. I just think the the language was really cold and wasn't very evocative, which was one of the things that made it feel so much like a, a video game or something. So. I'm going to be controversial here. Uh Uh-oh. And like this is controversial because I do absolutely detest playing 4th edition. However, there is a game that I detest playing most of the time even more, and that is Fate. Really? Yeah, I actually don't enjoy playing Fate all that much, and I have tried and tried to do it. I'm just... I, I cannot think fate's the one with aspects, right? Or the yeah. one where you like think up like a phrase <laughs> to I'm so bad at it. I'm just bad at fate. I don't like playing fate. I have tried many times. Fate is my boyfriend's favorite system right now. It's inescapable for me. And I I don't like playing it, but I will say it is excellent for convention games, and that is something that I do like about it. It is really excellent for sitting down, making your character, and then playing. I just happen to be exceptionally bad at doing that. Because <laughs> I, I like having the list of skills to pick from, and, and I like to pick things. I don't like having a blank sheet thrown at me and then told to make, a you know, the next Mona Lisa. So, like, yeah, I... I I get what I call blank canvas paralysis with with fate, and I don't get that with other games mm. as much. That's a fair criticism, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially if the setting's not, like, super well-defined and archetypes yeah. aren't leaping to mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You'd probably have an easier time if you tried to do fate with something like Shadowrun, where there's a bunch of existing archetypes and stuff out there, but... It'd be an easier time, but I still don't think I'd have as much fun. Well, that's fair. Fair. I am going to cheat a little bit here, and I'm just going to say any and every Palladium game. (laughs) There are Palladium fans, and they're wrong. It's it's that simple. I I shouldn't be that harsh, but no, Palladium, it's... I say Palladium because there are a lot of other, like, individual self-published heartbreaker games that I could pick as, like, this is actually worse and things like that, right? I mean, but that's just kind of like picking on one guy who had a dream and just couldn't do it. Um, But Palladium has somehow managed to be a marginally successful game company, at least. They're continuing to put out product. They're the Harlequin romance of the RPG industry. (laughs) No, no, Harlequin (laughs) romances at least, you know, are edited. Sometimes. Wow. Sometimes. Wow. They're, they're sold on a periodicals <laughs> model, Grant. This is the ex-bookstore receiving manager talking. <laughs> oh, I know. Trust they me, are got totally disposable. <laughs> yeah, but the sheer lack of quality control, the fundamental design failures of the Palladium system, everything about it is awful. Except that when you read a Palladium book, you're like, oh, man, I want to play this because, like, All of these cool character concepts are coming to mind. And as much as I hate it, like I I completely hate the system. The dependence on rolling your character randomly is wonderful 
because rolling characters randomly is a ton of fun. I don't mean stats. Mm -hmm. Rolling character stats is whatever. But rolling up concepts and going, what did I just make and how do I turn this into a fun and intro? Oh, 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 it could be that. Oh, wait. Okay. Wait, hold on. Now suddenly I've got a military police investigator with an extending robo arm who's afraid of the dark, which is why she's in space all the time. Okay. <laughs> I, I did this when I uh, did the Exo Squad episodes with uh, Gameable. That's the character I came up with. This is crazy and it's stupid, but I also kind of love it because I would never have thought of this on my own. And that sense of I don't know what I just rolled, but I'm going to give it a shot. And all of a sudden the details all start to flesh out and it falls into place as a character that's completely unconnected from anything you would want to try going in cold. That's really cool. So basically what I'm saying is if Palladium would just please publish lists of tables and not try and do systems, <laughs> we'd be in a better spot. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Steven? Uh, well, actually, I, I have some more, more comments on what you guys said. Peter, I agree with you. Fourth edition. Fourth edition is probably the only tabletop that's made me want to throw things and break tables. But <laughs> I I do kind of feel that it was an attempt and not a bad idea to bring in people who've never played tabletop and make it similar to, you know, console or computer games so people can get into it more easily. So probably a lot of people played fourth edition to start and then hopefully got into a, a better lifelong addiction to role playing games. And uh, so that's what I'd say is good about that. Palladium, I got to tell you, I, I never critique Palladium because I started playing it when I was in my kind of honeymoon with with the RPGs where, you know, mm -hmm. I was like 17, 18, and I didn't know you were allowed to critique stuff or whatever. You know, I was like, wow, <laughs> you can have psionics and they're broken and I'm killing everyone with Mind Blast or whatever that was that we had in Palladium. But uh, I had this super awesome character with a rune weapon and and it was called death kiss which is one of the books and and there was this because part of the curse was this immortal guy would come and try to kill me every month and so i'd have to <laughs> beat him down and then you know i mean i, I had a great nice. time with it <laughs> so and i didn't know that i didn't think about the system i just did what the dm told me roll this do that you know and and so oh yeah Oh, I was the same way with uh dnd 3.0 when i first started and uh third edition shadowrun Hmm. which I love dearly. It, that system also has a lot of problems, but I, I cannot bring myself to criticize them in public oh, wow. because it was like you know, the first campaign I really played. It's like, I just love it. I don't care. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I want to tell a quick story, if you don't mind. Palladium, you reminded me of something. I of uh, Years ago, high school, I got the Robotech role-playing game because I'm like a huge Robotech addict uh, ever since it came out. I got the, I bought the book from a friend of mine who I played laser tag with which is a very old phrase. But uh, so <laughs> I was supposed to pay him, I don't know, 10 or 20 bucks. And like, I never did, right? But then I went to a different school and I never saw him again. And, and then later, one of my friends is like, hey, I, I ran into Jason and he's like, Steve never gave me my 20 bucks or whatever. <laughs> His name and address is still in the bottom corner of the book and pencil where he wrote it when he sold it to me. And I never paid him. I feel bad about by that. I don't think he's going to hear this podcast, but I'm very sorry. Also. Uh, years later, I, I, I went to this Robotech thing out here in L.A. Because if you live here, you get to go to cool stuff like this. It was a 25th anniversary, like, dinner and meet all the voice actors for Robotech. And so I went and I brought my Robotech role-playing game Palladium book. Because it's oh, got wow. pictures of all the main characters in it, right? 
Mm-hmm. So guess mm-hmm. what I did? I had all the voice actors sign underneath their character pictures. And now I have this keepsake book, which Jason will never get back now. I will gladly give you a hundred <laughs> bucks if you hear this, but you're not getting that book. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should just like write him a check and mail it to that address. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't yeah. live there anymore. It's like 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Let the post office figure it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> So there you go. Oh, that's great. That's a priceless story. I don't know how we're ever going to top that. Uh, we'll see what happens the rest of this episode. Nathaniel, yeah. thank you for your question. Obviously, great question. We had a lot of fun with it. Uh, if you want to ask us a question in the same way, if you want your question read on the air and answered, back us on Patreon and submit us a question. Any amount that you support us for you know, lets you send in questions to, to put into our backlog of questions, and we really appreciate it. And you can do that at patreon.com slash saving the game. Okay, let's get into our scripture and actually get to our main topic. Now that we are three quarters of the way through our usual time window, we're going <laughs> to every time. Long this time. Every time. <laughs> so this is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 4 to 7. Samuel did what the Lord said. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is Mark sixteen fifteen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. John fifteen thirty five says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And I've got Galatians chapter three, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we're talking tonight about subculture outreach, uh, and I'm very glad we brought a guest on for this, Mm -hmm. specifically Stephen, because we are, by and large, bad at this. Um, We're bad at evangelism, uh, and we like to bring experts on to make up for our deficiencies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Grant is not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. All right. And this has been true throughout the course of the podcast. Among every single host we've had on, we're all naturally a little bit introverted. And one of the things that I think is helpful for outreach, but maybe not required, is a, a willingness to go talk to other people. <laughs> Stephen, let me let me ask you something here. What differentiates subculture outreach from what a lot of other churches think of, or what a lot of churches think of as standard outreach or ministry or that sort of thing? Well, honestly, the kind of subculture outreach that I talk about usually just isn't done because, unfortunately, most churches view certain groups, certain cultures as unreachable and unlovable. They just don't understand them, and they subconsciously, in many cases, avoid them. Oh, we're not going there. We're not going to... Uh, the nightclub, you know, we're not going to the goth club, we're not going to the anime convention, except for the unfortunate people outside with the yellow signs screaming about people going to hell, which I would like to tell you once and for all, you're not helping. Okay. <laughs> Does <laughs> not you're, you're not helping. Right? I mean, because I don't know how they get through this concept of 
hey, we're in this club that what we do is we go out on street corners and screaming people about how they're going to hell without God. Wouldn't you want to join our club too? And I'm thinking those <laughs> people are like, no, thanks. Right? I mean, if that's what you're projecting is what you do in this group, then people are going to say no to that. And so uh, I, I feel like what we're doing is it's like we have this weird, almost third grade understanding of the gospel where people just look at it and go, oh, Jesus went out in the street and he spoke to people in groups and told them about God and salvation. And so that's what we'll do as if nothing has changed in 2000 years, right? I mean, if Jesus was here now and look, that's always a dangerous thing to say, right? I know what Jesus would do, but I feel like he would take advantage of social media and other ways to communicate with people. He would not just go out on street corners like he did then. The reason he did it then is because that was the way that would reach people. (laughs) Well, and not to split hairs here, but Jesus's message was very compassionate and, you know, kind of the opposite of of fire and brimstone. I mean... You look at the people with the signs and like the the first thought through your head is how high is your blood pressure anyway? <laughs> yeah. And and the thing is that there's a group of people that, you know, these groups, they really believe they're doing God's work, which is, you know, the sad and scary part. I've talked with some of them and I've just run run into these difficult things. And the problem is is it also causes division uh because it's like, okay, well, now you're you're out there speaking for all of us and there's a bunch of of us that are like, "No, no, that's not how we want to be represented. But I'm sorry, I, you know, that's just something I kind of preface the whole thing with. Some churches don't do it. They don't want to do it. And they don't think about these sort of people because either they, they don't know they exist or they feel like they're unsavable or unlovable, maybe not on a conscious level, but that's what happens. So that's why I ended up kind of starting Fans for Christ because there was almost no outreach for that. Now, honestly, you know, when I started it over a dozen years ago, it was not as popular and mainstream as everything is now, as as gaming is and sci-fi and and all these things. So churches are now having things like game nights at their church where they'll set up game consoles and have kids come in and play or or adults, you know, who knows, or other game nights where they're playing board games and stuff. And I hear all all over the country now people tell me about these these things, which are I think great ways to bring people in. It's not like you have to like to get in the door. You have to to hear a Bible verse or anything. You just put them in the environment with believers and and love them as people. I I can't I can't express more that people are not going to ever listen to your message if you don't care about them and if you don't care about the message. It's something I've learned as a teacher. My students can tell that I care about them, and that makes them listen. That makes them want to learn. That makes them feel like they're involved in something instead of just a task that is supposed to be completed. And small churches can't reach out to everybody. But if you're in a church that really wants to reach out to subcultures, you need to research the subculture, which, you know, is one thing my book can help you with. But also, if you start reaching out to that subculture with love and compassion, you get a few of them. And once you get a few of them, right, I feel like we're, you know, recruiting for like a uh, uh, you know, uh, old this time sounds a little Pokemon like, yeah, right. So, <laughs> but once you get a couple of those folks in the church, they can they can go out and be the ambassadors. You know, that's kind of what a, like our Christian goth folks do. Like, I'm the Christian goth, so now I I go to the goth nights because I'm not a poser. I'm not a fake goth, just being there to try to convert people or whatever. You know, <laughs> so and you know, it reminds me. I think the stories in my book of when I was I was here in Eagle Rock going to a big church. And it's such a big church that all these people walk down the same path over the sidewalk, across the street, and they walk up this big set of stairs to go to the church. 
And it mixed in with this group was two people with like spiky colored hair and, and jackets with studs on them. And, you know, I thought, hey, they look cool. But as soon as I saw them, I thought, they're not coming to church. And literally everyone else turned and walked up the stairs to the church and they kept walking by. And that's really, you know, that's my big thing. Like, why does church have to look like everybody the same? And I don't mean racially, because somehow we decided we could do that. That was okay. But if you have like a pink mohawk or something like, you don't belong here, boy, you know, kind of thing where, you know, I'm in L.A. now, so I don't see it as much as I used to when I lived on the East Coast in various places. But I really feel like there needs to be some education in the church where they understand the difference between culture and religion, or at least culture and faith, where Christianity was never meant to be this weird American Christianity culture where everyone, you know, listens to the same music and dresses the same and talks. We even have our own Christianese language now. It's like, that's all superfluous. That's not Christianity. It's a culture that grew up around Christianity in America. But you know what? If you go to other countries, they do Christianity a completely different way because they have a different culture, but they still have Jesus. I will say I have actually, to a degree, experienced that kind of viewing people on their outside looks attitude in a church that I ended up being pretty close to uh, in the end. Uh, the first time I ever went to uh, the church I ended up in uh, in St. John's, I, I went to church wearing my leather jacket that zipped up sort of diagonally and I thought it was really cool. And at that point, my hair was quite short and it was dyed blue. And I go to church. I think I'm late. So I'm rushing in. I'm out of breath. And I happen to have to use the bathroom. I'm like, could you point me to the bathroom, please? And they point me to it. And I rush there. And then I come back and I'm like, hey, could I have a pew leaflet, please? And they're like, oh, you're here for the service. <laughs> and, I, and it was and there was like legit shock on their face. And they were asking, are you sure you're here for the service? I was like, yes, <laughs> I grew up Anglican. I found an Anglican church. I'm here for the Anglican church service. <laughs> and they were like, okay. And they were like really weirded out. And then... I got a few weird looks over the course of the service. Then as soon as we went downstairs for coffee after the service and I got to talking to people, all of a sudden the attitude completely shifted because I was talking like an Anglican. I was using Anglican terms. Mm. Um, now, I want to ask, did they, did they assume you weren't saved and you were just visiting first? They assumed I just needed the bathroom. Oh, yeah, that. But I mean, once you went downstairs to talk to people... Did they try to save you? <laughs> uh, no, they did not. Okay. Um, that that was not because also that's not an Anglican thing to do. Oh, at all. okay, I see. That is also partly why I personally am bad at evangelism because Anglicanism doesn't lend itself very well to it. Mm. It's, it's hard to go up to somebody and say, "Hey, so do you want to come to church with me?" Beware, there may be white robes worn there. Like that's not a good way to <laughs> you know get people into the Anglican church because legitimately we do wear some things that very liturgical people. Yeah. Would you like an intimidating liturgical? church service for your first experience? Yeah, I, I have actually been told somebody tried to save me the other way. I told them that I was an altar server in an Anglican church and they said, oh, but that means cult worship. Fun. And I was like, no, no, no. Yay for division. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a charismatic, yeah. so I have the opposite kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm like, should I bring someone to my church where I'm going to like laugh and, and dance and clap and, and jump around all excited for God that they don't know that exists. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I do it anyway. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a, a really interesting experience for me that I sort of half expected because like yeah. j just because of the, the culture in, in St. John's as well, um, mm -hmm. it's a lot of old people. Wow. That, that's just yeah. the way it is. You know, uh, you got and, me thinking though about the question because I really feel like I didn't answer it for you too well. 
my my group that I ran wasn't so much a uh, an evangelic or sorry that's that's the wrong term evangelistic ministry. Uh, whereas like game church, you know, Mikey's thing is very uh, evangelistic, where they want to convert people. Mine end up more being like a support group for Christian nerds who were isolated because they were the only one in their town or their church, and so we mm. we got together to keep ourselves strong in the faith. Uh, even though we experience some, you know, difficulties in the church that way. But I will tell you, I, I feel like personally, uh, evangelism should be done through love. Like if it's done through mm-hmm. obligation, you're just doing it wrong. It's not really going to work uh, if you just feel like I have to do this. It is kind of one of the things, you know, the Great Commission and all that. But I feel mm-hmm. like love has to be there first. And and people sense your love. And personally, I think I've only done the thing, uh, had the prayer with maybe three people in my entire life where I quote unquote led them to Christ, as we say in our Christianese. But I, I also feel like I'm out there and just, just for instance, being in LA and being open about being a Christian in a sense is evangelism because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just setting myself up for debate and, and maybe ridicule and, and other things like that. So I get to have discussions with people and usually they're so far away from where I'm at, but I, I give them my basic look, you know, I kind of have a three prong, maybe this will help. I don't know. I kind of have a three prong <laughs> approach to when I do it. It's sort of apologetic, but it's also in love. You know, number one, I just say, look, I believe there's a God, first of all, because of the nature of the universe and, you know, various other things. And so I believe there's a God. And then secondly, I believe Jesus is a son because of these historical reasons. And then thirdly, I believe because of my personal experience I've had with God, I've witnessed miracles, I've been healed several times of nasty things and uh, even overcome chronic fatigue syndrome thanks to going to a healing service, you know, other stuff like that. And I say, you know, I have no other explanation for these things that make sense because I'm pretty sure I'm not crazy as far as I can tell. I'm not crazy. And I, I feel like one third of the world does not have some kind of mass delusion. And so therefore, I believe and I I feel like I have this gift. I've been given the best thing in the world and even transcending the world, if you think about it. And I want to share it with other people. But I know, I know some people don't want it, even though I feel like they really do if they really knew what it was. But you do the thing where you, you, you speak to them and if they don't listen, you let them go. And I feel like that's where a lot of Christians fail in evangelism. So you guys are on kind of the other end of the thing where you're not talking to people maybe as much, but some people just keep talking to people when they should stop uh, because they're not, they're not helping anymore. They're just harassing someone and the person's not going to be, want to be around you and things like that. But you know, mm-hmm. I, I also as a charismatic, I feel like one of the big powerful tools of evangelism that we have is answered prayer. And I, I know different denominations are different places in like God's power and does he do miracles these days but I tell you what things that will convince people are miracles and if you just pray for them and say I'm going to pray for God to do this specific thing because you know you ask him what they need or what they want and if they say they don't want you to pray for them then I don't right but if they do I'll be praying for that thing and doesn't happen every time but a lot of times it does and they start thinking maybe there's a God. And I feel like that's the most powerful witness that I've ever had is just offering to pray for people. And so that would kind of be my thing that I would recommend. And even, you know, if it's someone that you think would never want to talk about God, if you ask him, what do you need right now? You'd be surprised at what they will say. They will usually tell you. Hmm. Hmm. That's very cool. You know, thinking back just slightly to something you said earlier on, that part of the problem with subculture outreach or the lack thereof 
is that there's an unconscious assumption in many churches that these people aren't going to be saved, aren't going to listen, aren't worth it. You know, I I think it would probably be valuable, uh, difficult in some ways, but valuable for anybody who's in a position to talk to their church about this sort of problem to sit down and say, who do we not have in our church? And it's never going to be a comprehensive list, right? You're not going to be able to write down the infinite variety of human experience on front and back of a piece of paper. But start listing off people who are like, we've never reached out to these people. We don't have anyone like this in our church as far as we know. And just start thinking, who can we reach out to that we've assumed wouldn't listen to us, but who like, I've got an end to or someone else has an end to. There's, I think, value in looking and saying, who are we missing and who could we who could we reach out to? And there there's some comfort issues. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers. I think the other one with a lot of smaller churches is resource issues, too. Well, yeah, absolutely. There's There's a resource problem, obviously. But, you know, something else that uh, was said earlier about getting a couple of people in the church and then those people becoming ambassadors for others if they're interested in it. The thing is, you don't have to reach out to an entire community. You can just reach out to a few people and build from there. God has a way of of making things work out and growing things from the smallest of seeds. Yeah, that's kind of what Stephen was saying at the beginning, where if you can get a couple of them, you know, exactly. you can start building mm-hmm. from there. I, I think the other thing that I really liked was what he was saying about it has to be genuine. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, and I'm, I am terrible at, you know, evangelizing and stuff, but one of the one of the most amazing things that anybody has ever said to me is there have been a few people that I know that are atheists that are like, you know, at least you convinced me that y'all aren't a bunch of angry zealots. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, sometimes that's as much as you can do, but that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we've gotten that occasionally as a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Lowering those barriers is valuable. There are some obvious pitfalls. I think most of those pitfalls fall into the category of making assumptions making assumptions that people aren't interested, making assumptions about attitudes, making assumptions about subcultures you don't know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> or treating religion as an MLM thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Certainly that. I think also one of the big pitfalls, uh, we talked about this as well previously, is church speak, using that that yeah. internal language to try and talk to people outside. And, the and there's, there's a space for church speak because sometimes we need to talk about theological concepts and do so in accurate ways. Yeah. But, okay. That's different than what I, when I'm talking about Christianese, where, you know, we have things like we use the word convicted in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. I was convicted of this. I'm like, okay, there, there's a way you can say that without using that word. Uh, you know, I felt like God was saying to me or whatever. And so we don't have mm-hmm. to use these words that will make it impossible for other people to understand us. Sure. But then, yeah. so that I, that's a distinction. So I'm not necessarily talking about theological discussions, but when I say Christianese, I mean these thing, these words we've kind of redefined so, you know, outsiders won't understand us. Yeah, that that's yeah. fair. I think sometimes those are technical terms in a way. I think, though, sometimes they are also... We use them in a, in a sense to try and prove to ourselves and to others that mm. we are, in fact, part of that Christian group. Yeah. It's a kind of religious virtue signaling. S- yeah. yeah. Self-identifying. Yeah. A, a sort of shibboleth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Interesting. That is problematic. I mean, here's the thing. I I live in the South in a very religiously conservative part of the South. I hear this a great deal. Hmm. I hear a lot of people talk like that. I, as a Presbyterian, sometimes have trouble following some of this language. Anybody who hasn't heard it all their lives is never going to get it. And it's just going to be turned off in the same way I get turned off by anyone else speaking an insider language and then sort of snickering when I go, what are you talking about? And they go, well, you wouldn't get it. You don't know. Noob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very frustrating. That's a huge pitfall. And I understand sometimes that's a habit that's just hard to break. But when you're speaking to people, you need to speak a language they understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the very least, use use both possibly. Yeah. Repeat yourself once in Christianese and once in plain speak. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I yeah. do as a teacher, too. If I use a new term, I might use it in a sentence and then re-explain it later to kind of like, for the people who already knew it, be like, yeah, you you knew this, but just for everybody else. And then you don't feel like I'm doing it necessarily for you. But uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you reminded me of something else, too, that I uh, that I thought of. Uh, actually, I, I had more thoughts on this than I realized. But um, <laughs> when you do this evangelism, I mean, part of me is, and I'm not saying it's exclusive to charismatic, because I think everybody at some point listens for the spirit and you know since we're supposed to be filled with the holy spirit or have the holy spirit in us where we listen for god and sometimes god tells me stuff like go talk to this person whatever and i'm busy doing something else you know like you know like the pilgrim's progress i'm busy shoving all my garbage around in this room that's mm-hmm. meaningless and god's like hey do that but i'm busy with my garbage anyway so uh, but i feel like almost every time that i felt that impression from god Something has come out of it. And it also reminded me of another experience where throughout life, there's certain things that are unpleasant. And you can sit there and dwell on like, oh, I don't really want to do this. I don't like it. But if you just do it instead of thinking about how you don't want to do it, it's actually less bad. And I feel like, you know, reaching out to people with evangelism is kind of like that. It seems like this terrifying, horrible thing. But if you actually just make yourself do it, not... And not out of duty, whatever, but just like, I'm going to do this. I really love people and I want to help them. And so you make yourself do it. You're like, oh, that wasn't as hard as I thought. I really think there's a lot of that in there, too. It it seems worse than it or harder than it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. The other interesting thing about outreach is that it kind of works both ways. I'm not sure who added this to the outline, but (laughs) somebody had a note in here about in reach, reaching out to the broader culture, to a super culture, if you will, from within a subculture. I thought this was interesting and I wanted to talk about it at least a little bit. I I mean, we're running up on time here. Neat. Yes. I have seen this done. It's wonderful. Go ahead. Good. No. Tell me about that because it's fascinating. And I think the idea of Christianity and geek culture as super cultures that connect a lot of different subcultures is something that could be explored in books, <laughs> several books on the, on the topic. <laughs> yep. but, but tell me about your experiences with it. And I have to assume there's something in here about fans for Christ. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at, at conventions, we are basically forbidden from proselytization, as they call it. So sure. what that means is we can't directly say stuff like that. And it took years for us to develop these relationships. But what we have done is over these years, we have developed relationships with these conventions to where they they will even let us have a church service in the mornings at some of these conventions. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. And then, but you'll see stuff like pa- kids will come with their parents 
And then the parents are totally not inside the geek culture or whatever, but they'll see us and then the kid will be talking about us. And so the parent might hear about God or Christianity through us, which we've got a different lens now, right? You're not hearing it from regular church people. You're hearing it from people who see Christianity in the way that God loves me even though I'm weird kind of thing. God loves me even though uh, certain people don't, <laughs> right? And, right. And, the, and I feel like those people, are in a, in a sense, become more grateful. I mean, you can look all over the Bible of uh, all these outcasts. I mean, Jesus made a beeline for the rejected. Yes. I, I don't understand how we miss that in our church model today. Yeah, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but he grabbed a Sicarii and a tax collector. I mean, right, the that's woman crazy. at the well, you know, hi Samaritan yeah. that we're not mm-hmm. supposed to talk to, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and and he hung out with them. It wasn't just like, oh hey, you know, here's the gospel. See you later. It was like, hey, come have dinner with me. Come hang with my disciples. You know, and I, I don't know how we missed that, but but there's so much to learn from these subcultures. I feel like because they're going to have a different experience of Christ, uh, because we all do, of course. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, because we're all unique and different, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we have this different experience of God and we can share that. And I feel like if somebody hears it from somebody like that, it's going to be a different experience for them and it might just be the experience they want. There's sort of this theory uh, within, I, before I studied library stuff, I actually studied linguistics. Mm. And there's a theory within the linguistics community that every time a language is lost, you lose an outlook on the world. Ah. And we were talking about Christianese and, and how we can talk more in plain speak. Whenever you bring somebody new into your church or into your friend group or into your gaming group or whatever, you are gaining a new language that they have. You are gaining a new set of languages that they have. And thus you are gaining a broader outlook on the world as well. Um, And I think that value cannot be overstated. Mm. It it is incredibly valuable to have the many languages and the many world outlooks in your culture. To be able to share those languages then allows for sort of a bit of back and forth in a way. Because at that point, you can introduce geek culture into your church or introduce church into your geek culture. Yeah. Like, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on my chocolate kind of thing. Yeah. I think that for both sides, and that's something I'm really experienced at, is for both sides. For Christians, you have to kind of slowly and gently introduce them to the subculture because they're freaked out about it. And the same thing with the, you know, the fans or the goths or the geeks or whatever, because especially because they've had bad experiences. So you have to slowly kind of bring them back and be like, okay, I know that you've heard this or you've had these people be mean to you, but that's not really Jesus. And let me tell you a little bit about why. And, you know, not like do a brain dump of Romans on them or anything, but you instead just say, you know, well, he loved everybody and that's really important to me and that's how I feel. And and I think that's the real Jesus. So uh, I'm sorry that these other people represented him improperly to you mm-hmm. and and by degrees you can bring people in but it, it, you know and of course god can work miracles and, and do all kinds of things he can he can show the church people that they can have an epiphany like oh my gosh it doesn't matter how people dress or that they pretend that they're a goblin or you know uh the on the other side oh wow god is so awesome it doesn't matter what all these crazy church people have said to me <laughs> it's god that's good you know so mm-hmm. So the thing that I was kind of specifically thinking when I threw that in the outline, and I'd like to see if you have any 
um, particular thoughts on this is hmm. let's say you've managed to get like a nice group of geeky faith folks together and you want to go out and minister to what would perhaps be called the normies. Yeah. How does that look? Well, I mean, you've got to have some, I'm like, I'm thinking of screenwriting now for some reason. There's got to be motivation, <laughs> right? I mean, and it's, it has to be something that makes sense to the people that you're going to. And so right. you can't just go to them to be like, okay, we're going to just go. I, I don't want to say can't because God can do anything and God might lead you to do something really strange. I don't know. Okay. So um, I guess I don't want to say can't, but I feel like there needs to be another thing that you're doing, right? So I think one of the best things you can do is introduce them to whatever your weird hobby is. Like, okay, you're you're a normal. I like to do this really weird thing. Check it out with me. You know, that gives you uh, another reason to be talking to them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just like, okay, we've got to go, because you've got to go through a, 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 like a double barrier if you're in a different culture and a different religion than somebody. So sure. you've mm -hmm. got to kind of, you know, create some bridges there. And so I think, yeah, like first find something you do have in common and do it, do that together or whatever. And I feel like, you know, the, the important thing is just people see you as another person and not like a stereotype of whatever you are. And yeah. we have to overcome that, though. I guess that's really the challenge here that I'm talking about. If I mean some, you know, like I said, gaming is getting more mainstream, but you know, gamers used to have kind of a certain look and maybe a certain aroma even. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, there's kind of a stereotype. And, and if you look like and talk like a gamer, they just put you in that category and then maybe write you off. So there's, you know, there's that whole challenge. So you've got to meet people in an environment where they have a reason to stay and talk to you. You know, whatever that is, you know, whatever group that you're going to or whatever, you're doing a thing. And it doesn't have to be a gaming outreach thing, but you can be part of a group, you know. But I think that, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about doing, by the way, is similar to this, where I love LARPing. And mm -hmm. there's there's definitely a way that we could do a kind of a Christian LARPing thing. And we could do it for kids. So I could get like a bunch of my LARPer friends together and we could put on like little modules for these kids. And we could like schedule them like this kid comes at noon and then another one comes at one. And, you know, we give them a little padded sword and a little helmet and you know, give them their party and then they're off on an adventure and they have their LARP adventure for an hour. And then, but, but somehow it relates to, you know, a Christian teaching or whatever. Or, you know, I mean, honestly, good ideals don't necessarily have to be wrapped in Christian packaging. At one point I wrote an essay entitled, uh, uh, I got all my moral values from Speed Racer. And, uh, you know, I really did because that was, that was something that taught about the importance of family, that winning is not as important as, as humans and human lives. And there's all these great values in Speed Racer that are that are similar, that are Christian values. It don't have to necessarily be wrapped in a Christian package, but we can introduce people to these concepts and our beliefs, uh, maybe even one at a time through these kind of outreaches, and then see what God does from there. Yep. So two things. First, I think you could very easily package LARP for kids as a Christian thing. Mm -hmm. You could easily package that as a vacation Bible school set and just sell it or give it out and churches would jump all over it yeah oh, yeah and yeah. i think some of that is get, gets back to languages presenting it as something more familiar than christian larp for kids right yeah larp people don't know what that means right but if yeah, you get we're it back as a to the jargon vacation, again right yeah. you do it as a vacation bible school activity for for the teenagers to do with the younger kids great yeah 
The other thing that I wanted to maybe wrap things up with here, it's worth remembering that just because we're talking about distinct and often, you know, in our case, talking about geek subcultures or countercultural subcultures, it's worth remembering that a lot of the people who are unsure about that weird looking subculture over there are deep inside their own subcultures just as much. Hunting mm. is its own subculture I know nothing about. Mm. Yeah. Florida State football, these people know statistics and players and histories and games that I will never know anything about. Yep. It's a subculture. It's got its own knowledge. It's got its own language. And that's fine. It's less visibly a subculture, at least unless somebody's, you know, completely decked out in Florida State gear. Right. More socially acceptable. But I mean, yeah. you know, we joke about these guys are, you know, dressing up in uh, face paint and yelling. It's just like, you know, the geek stuff. But that's the thing. It, it really is just like a lot of geeky stuff. It's a subculture all on its own. And recognizing that we all are in these individual subcultures that we have picked for ourselves or have picked up from friends and family and coworkers and and everything else, recognizing that hopefully we'll say, you know, it's not just that I want to reach out. And find out about your subculture or look at this subculture and go, whoa, that's weird, but I'm going to try and reach out there. Recognize that you're in your own and say, hey, maybe mm -hmm. somebody over there is also a Florida State fan. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody yeah. over there hunts. Maybe I can and find a, a common ground there and then I can learn more because just because you're focusing on that group doesn't mean that they don't have other interests. Those bridges are valuable inroads and valuable connections that already exist. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to invite people into those, if they, into your own subculture, if they show some interest. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say as, as Christians, I think we need to just experience more. We don't understand as Americans. And I think part of it is because things like entertainment and technology have centered around our country as long as we've been alive, that we don't realize that our culture is what, like, what are we, like 5% of the population or something like that, right? <laughs> we are America culture, the whole big culture, whatever that is, but it's a subculture, you know, but we tend to view it as like there's this mainstream culture, but yet most of the world would look at us as weird. And, and we, but we don't have that perspective because we have in many ways just stayed in our own little cultural bubble and never gone out of it. And we haven't experienced other things, but, you know, it reminds me of this quote, one of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain, actually, from one of my favorite books from him, The Innocents Abroad. And he says, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. And many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Yes. Broad, mm -hmm. wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. And I think now you don't even have to physically travel to learn about other cultures. You know, we've got documentaries, you know, we've uh, <laughs> we've got you can travel to this, whatever's the closest city and they'll have like a Chinatown. They'll have, you know, other cultures there. Yeah, it's not even that. We've got YouTube. Right. We've got yeah. Twitter. Like, Peter, you may remember we did the um, Game to Grow episode that we hosted. Oh, the uh, this gaming and spirituality panel that we did? Yeah. And we had uh, Shivam Bat on there, who's a Hindu guru, and uh, I guess priest would be a, a relatively close word. Mm -hmm. I follow him on Twitter because one of the things he does is just tweet out Hindu stories and explain certain holidays. I, cool. Literally, I'm seeing that mixed in amongst like role-playing game companies saying, hey, we, we did a thing. I'm okay. learning about other cultures. It's easy to find if you go to the effort of finding that and looking for it. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I think a lot of the time people from different cultures are very willing to share with you kind of what yeah. makes theirs unique and interesting mm-hmm. as long as you're respectful about your approach to them. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we joke about it, but my wife and I have, we come from, even though we were born and raised in the same city, we come from surprisingly different backgrounds. And so we joke about those cultures all the time, but you know, you get Chrissy talking about Southern culture. She'll go on for half an hour about it. Right. And it's great because that's its own culture that, you know, Peter, when you came down to visit, you were blown away by hush puppies. (laughs) <laughs> because they're really good for it. I've never had them before. Do you have cookout? Uh, no, uh, a oh. local barbecue place. Even better. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, was, I was also really impressed by the mustard-based barbecue sauce that was down there. I'd never had that before either. Wow. Right. Little things like that. But that idea of you know, traveling, talking to people, getting out to people, that's that's so valuable. And it's so easy to do yeah. in this era is, at, you know, <laughs> find people who respect something and are showing it to you honestly and get into it. Yeah, I think and I would almost say that it's it's a responsibility of Christians today to understand other cultures outside of our own. Not and it doesn't even have mm-hmm. to be what we call subcultures. Just, you know, it's a very global world that's kind of redundant, but it's, you know, a small world, it's a very connected world that we live in. And yeah. so uh you you will you will run into these other things and and just understanding that your perspective isn't always the best one. Right. And we're not going to say one is right or wrong, but that that other cultures have so much to offer. And they might even help us in our understanding of Christianity by giving us different mm-hmm. ways to look at life. Uh, taking courses in native studies was one of the most eye opening things regarding my own Christianity that I have ever done. Mm. I will gladly talk about that on the discord. Uh, but yeah, we are definitely running up against time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have. Stephen, anything you want to close us out with? Well, let me let me say thanks for letting me come and talk about my book. It's the one thing I feel like that I, I'm most proud of, the, the thing that I feel like that I've done that God wanted me to do the most. And uh, even though it's been over 10 years since, since it's been out, I still am glad to. I, there's still people who need to read it. And um, I, I feel like it's in my heart is in there. My story is in there about how I you know, started off not being able to tell anyone I played D&D at church, you know, and, and, and gone from there and, and mm-hmm. seeing, you know, that I had to either have nerd friends or Christian friends and I couldn't have both. And, and you know, maybe that's not a problem for 90% of the population, but God cares about the the 1% of us or whatever we are, you know, now it's bigger, right? But that that felt rejected by the church just because we liked Harry Potter or, or D&D or whatever. And, and uh, you know, I want those people to know that that God made us to have imagination and creativity and to make our own stories and to live our own stories. And that's a piece of God in us, the ability to create things and to to imagine and to see other worlds in our head. That's divine. Yeah. And, th- and that is should never be looked down upon or, or suppressed. You know, I, you'll read in my book that I was in this church that I had to dress a certain way and listen to certain music and not talk and not play games and all the stuff that I, I suppressed my personality so much. I started to break mentally and that should never happen to anyone in the church. You know, I, I, I long so much for a church that, that not only loves, but is in unity. You know, I, I don't care if there's denominations and differences, as long as we unify together and, and, and being Christians and loving each other, that's what I would like to see. And it means so much to me. Uh, I started a website called ChristianFreak.com, and and I have videos on there where I preach about the the three main things that I feel like that God's called me to preach about, and and those are grace, uh, the, the incredible power of God's forgiveness, and how our salvation is not performance based. 
that it is a pure gift from God and we and we can't screw it up and he's not up there with a checklist. It's so important. Uh, unity, uh, where, you know, Christians right now are showing a face to the world that is just a bunch of arguers. That what we do is we argue with atheists, but we argue with ourselves. That's like the, the picture they see is a world of arguers and why would they want to join us? And then finally, the thing I preach is love. And love is the most important thing. And it's all over the Bible. Uh, you know, I got a message there, you know, half hour message on that. It's just so basic and simple. But why aren't we living it? If love is the most important commandment, if it's the greatest virtue, if love is what we're supposed to be known by, and love is what God is, all four of those things straight from the Bible, why would we not live them? Why do we not live that way? I don't know. And it breaks my heart. So those are the things I want to say to everybody that, that I hope that you continue to grow in grace, unity, and love. Absolutely. Thank you. It's yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you Thanks. for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to get the scheduling worked out. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for working with me. Oh, of course. Oh, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Weiss, author of God Loves the Freaks, A Guide to Subculture Ministry, founder of Fans for Christ, voice actor, teacher, game hacker, and as it happens, really good podcast guest. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One thing I'm going to close out with real quick, and I should have talked about this at the top of the show, but it slipped my mind. We've had a couple of people ask about clean or family-friendly or Christian actual plays. Uh, this is a request we get a fair bit. Do we know of any? Because we don't do any ourselves. As it happens, just this week, somebody reached out to me saying, hey, I started one. So I wanted to make sure to share it on the podcast. This is City on a Hill Gaming, and you can find it at cityonahillgaming.com. They're only a couple episodes in. They've got four episodes up, which is pretty good. They're just getting started, as with any new podcast, some audio issues, getting things figured out. Go give them a listen. Let them know you like them. Because, you know, we want to encourage that sort of thing out there. So tell them we sent you. Absolutely. Uh, and by the way, they mentioned us uh, in the first couple minutes of their first episode saying they'd found us, but eh, we didn't do any actual plays. So hi, Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it from us. Um, Stephen, if somebody wants to find you on the Internet, where can they go? My main website is steveracer.com. That's my old nickname because I'm a big speed racer fan. So it's just <laughs> S-T-E-V-E-R-A-C-E-R.com. And that's got links to... Almost all my stuff, you know, godlovesthefreaks.com is there, christianfreak.com is there, uh, my acting website is on there, you know, all, all the stuff is kind of, that's the, the Steve portal <laughs> from the internet. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank right. you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. And from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.